internet friends, and welcome back to Love-Hate Relationship, an opinionated podcast for opinionated people. I'm Andy Bowell. And I'm Alex Ruiz, and as always, we're here to brighten your day, anger your soul, and tell you how to live your lives in that order. And Andy, goddammit, I am back here in North Carolina, yep. not looking at your beautiful face, because nope. I got to visit with you over over winter break. I call it winter break, even though neither of us have been in school for years, long more years for you than for me. But even then, <laughs> well, it, it felt like winter break. I think I was actually off for longer than a typical high school winter break. I, I had a good like 13 days there that I just didn't have to work. So, yeah, no, I was I was. If you count travel days, I was, like, out for, I think, 11 days in a row. Sure. And that was... Different. You know, that might have been too many days, but, like, I told you before we started recording, I came home and I was like, oh, God, my bed, I missed my bed, I missed my <laughs> yes. guitars, I missed, I missed this whole, like little world we've built up around ourselves why can't andy and mariah just move up here and we can all just record here and it would be so lovely i know but we got to keep there's got to be a certain level of like dissatisfaction you have on a day-to-day basis so you have enough to come on this show and do what we do about i think I don't think circumstances require me to be dissatisfied. I think I will find things to be dissatisfied. Oh, fair. <laughs> there's there's an old um there's an old Christopher Hitchens book that I've never read, but I love the title. It's it's um Letters to a Young Contrarian. And there's something about that title that has always spoken to me just as like yeah, no. I I think I do pick fights and arguments when when none need to be there. And you know what? Funny enough, going going and visiting my family helped me realize that because right. like, I wasn't in my parents' home 30 minutes before me and my dad got off on some meaningless BS that was not <laughs> important, but we just had to argue about something. Not like fisticuffs argue, not like get in your face, yell and scream. No, we just needed to pull out our intellectual dicks and measure them against one another. And it's like not just my dad, because I later in that same <laughs> afternoon saw my older sister and we got into it about something because this is who we are. And then my poor mother. Hey, mom, I know you're listening. You're great. Dad, you might be listening, too. I think you understand where I'm coming from. My poor mother is just like, uh, OK, like, here's some food for when you're done arguing, <laughs> you stack of just just mewling children who need to be heard so merry christmas uh belatedly <laughs> yes absolutely <laughs> it's okay i spent the i spent december 26th in my parents living room and it was me and my me and my sister versus my brother and my dad on just like the issues of basic human decency and our trans rights a real thing and just we we had some discussion wow yeah wow okay so when i was when i was visiting my parents at one point they were watching like the news in spanish and there was some news story about um 
a trans woman who is a model who was like marrying this cis dude who I think is a photographer or something. And it was like a human interest profile piece. And it was very clearly like, okay, this is happening in a country where this dialogue is a little fresher in the pop culture lexicon than it is here in the U.S. Not by a lot, just by like a few years. And my parents are sitting there just like, yeah, no, she's attractive. She <laughs> she she looks really nice. It's nice that they're together. That's really good. I like I like that they're together. That's like they and they used all the wrong pronouns. They said everything wrong as far as like actual sure. yeah. respectful rhetoric, but at the heart of their comments they were just like Yeah, no, that's cool. This is cool. We like this. And I was like I am so grateful that at least, like, I can try, I, I can slowly have the conversation of just like, no, that's not the right pronoun to use, or maybe you shouldn't use that particular term, it's a little outdated, but it's a way better place to start from than are they people. Yeah, and I mean, like, I love I love the heart of your parents' takeaway from, from that new segment. I, at one point, completely unironically, was having to draw a parallel between well okay so what you're saying right now people were saying about african americans like not too terribly long ago do you do you see where i'm going with this and like in your parents lifetime ago yeah yeah absolutely <laughs> it always boggles my mind my my dad grew up in san francisco for christ's sake but <laughs> What are we gonna do? <laughs> I think he was railing against his dad, and 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 turns out like being a, a a good like liberal who who cares about people skipped a generation. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, it's it's the Alex P. Keaton thing, you know. Like, what do you do when you have the hippie ass parents? The only thing you can do is become a weird little Republican yuppie child who. Yeah. I mean, everyone forgets how terrible all of the things Alex P. Keaton would say on that show were because he was played by a young Michael J. Fox. But also kind of the brunt of the joke was, hey, this kid is like kind of a piece of shit, you guys. And he's constantly like learning the lessons of how he's a piece of shit. It just doesn't change who he is because it's a sitcom and we still need Alex P. Keaton to be a Reagan supporter at the beginning of the next episode. <laughs> right. So, I don't know. Family. Uh, I have a good enough relationship with them that I can still spend Christmas, so I got it better than some. Uh, oh, yeah. No. I love my family. I wouldn't trade my family for anything. I wouldn't change my family either, because if I did, who would I have to argue with? <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, man. So, we're... I know our last episode came out and we were speaking into the future, but now we are... Uh, squarely in 2020 and I, I think we left 2019 on a really like optimistic note and you were optimistic well i think i think we said something like like here's to here's to 2020 don't screw it up kids or something and in in the span of recording these two episodes um not to get into my segment too terribly quickly but we've screwed some things up <laughs> 
the world's on fire. Like, uh, like the world's on fire in so many ways. That is a very cleverly titled Ileana Glazer comedy special on Amazon, but it's also true, like literally and figuratively. Um, yes, it's also a Smash Mouth lyric. You're right, but Don't I'm I'm I'm, I'm, that. I'm I'm getting ahead of myself, and and we'll have time for me to rail against things. Do we want to do this episode proper and in the order that we do these episodes in? <laughs> Yes, goddammit, we have standards. <laughs> they aren't high, but they exist. Well, without, Shall I start? Yeah, without further ado, man, go ahead. Okay, so uh, y'all, this is Love-Hate Relationship. Uh, we do this show in three segments, uh, four and a half if you count the funky like 10 to 15 minutes we always start our episodes with, which, you know, we, we rip off an old podcast called Citizen Radio and call it a douchebag buffer, but it's really just to get douchebags to turn off our show. So you, non-douchebag, thanks for continuing to listen. Um, Our first segment, one of us comes to the table with a topic of something that we love, something that we think makes the world better, something that we want you to consider in a positive light. The other one of us uh, comes to the table with something we hate, something that were it gone from the earth, it would be a better earth. And then we take a relationship question, uh, usually, preferably, from you, our wonderful listeners. And we'll tell you how to send your questions in at the end of the episode, but uh, this time it's my turn to bring the love. And Andy, uh, you have a really big topic, a big wieldy topic coming up on the hate. Yes. So I thought I'd keep things a little bit light, and we'll get into it. Oh, uh, very I sweet. always <laughs> like to... I always like to start my segments uh, with a question. I like to ask Andy questions because they set me up for smart things later. So, Andy, I promise I'll round this out to the topic, but let me ask you, are you familiar with the concept of the bug out bag? And if so, what would you keep in one? I am familiar with the concept of a bug out bag. Can you explain it briefly? Of course. In my understanding, at least, um, the bug out bag is supposed to be like a person's entire escape proof solution in a bag. What I mean is like if you needed to get out of your apartment because it was on fire or say you're a spy and the counter spies are closing in on your position. You have to leave your fancy hotel room. You grab your bug out bag, which has all of the things that you would then need to like make it through the next couple of days. The bug out bag is supposed to be like, you know, your, your, your change of clothes and your pocket knife, your, your seatbelt cutter, depending on if you are said super spy, like just the term bug out bag, it makes me think of like, you know, 80s spy movies. I would not keep a succession of like passports for different countries with new identities in my bug out bag if I had one, because I'm not that much of a uh, international agent, but like, that's the kind of thing I always think of. Honestly, I do not have a bug out bag, but if I did, you know, it would be an old pair of reliable shoes that I like don't have to worry about, but also know I could run around in a change of clothes, a knife and like a hundred bucks cash to, get me through whatever the situation I'm getting myself into is. Okay. Yeah. Not bad at all. Um, you pretty, you hit it pretty close. Uh, yeah. You know, your bug out bag is just a bag you have set 
for a serious emergency. And, you know, depending on how detailed you want to be, it should be everything you need to survive for, I don't know, anywhere between like one and three days is usually what most people will say. Um, so yeah, and the contents of your bug out bag sound pretty solid overall. You know, you're definitely going to want, you know, dry socks, change of clothes, um, pocket knife. That's definitely in mine. I would probably add like water purification tablets. Uh, I do have a life straw that I've never used. So, okay. Yeah. That's going in the bug out bag. Cool. Yeah, that that would be good. If you take any medications, you know, some spare medications, I'd add a flashlight, a multi-tool, um, probably one of those, um, you were a Boy Scout, you one of those blankets that you rip it open out of the packet and it's warm or like warming pads, uh, you know, just in case you need to make it through the night, yeah, something like that. Totally. They, I, have a, I, have a fi- I have a magnesium fire starter that's really, really useful. I, I would totally put that in. A lot of these things are very small, but, you know, you can fit them in a bag. I've been, uh, hey, I have a wife who is very fair-skinned. Sunscreen. That'd be that'd be a thing to have. You have talked about this. I, I remember now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I've, been, I've been meaning to put together a couple of bug-out bags because that's who I am as a person, <laughs> yeah. y'all. Um, uh, and I've just been meaning to do that for a while, and I haven't, and, you know, it's as much to do with time and money as effort as anything as, as much as the fact that I'm not really anticipating needing to, uh, ensconce myself into the woods of Western North Carolina and live off the land for a few days. But who the hell knows, you know, everything might go all red dawn any day. So who the fuck? Yeah. In any case, I appreciate you giving me your answer. Um, I'm not going to be talking about bug out bags, but I'm going to be talking about something that I think uh, bug out bags are a really nice kind of entry point into for what I am going to talk about, which is something I think is highly underrated. Uh, Disclaimer up front, the term that I'm going to use for this thing is um, offensive to a lot of people. I am using this term. Uh, because I feel like it is most representative of the point that I want to make. Uh, so I am being deliberate in that, but disclaimer, I am aware that some people find it offensive. I am choosing to use it for rhetorical purposes. I'm here to talk about man bags, y'all. So <laughs> the reason, what, what's so funny? It's just what's so funny, Andy. I'm having deja vu, but like anybody who knows you as more than just a disembodied voice on the internet, I think just chuckled to themselves in the same way I did and went, yes, I'm absolutely here for you, Alex, to talk about man bags because it is 100% your aesthetic. And I mean that in a non like offensive way. No, I take that. I take that happily. Um, I, I do carry a man bag. I love my man bag. Hell, I got a man bag for Christmas. Thanks, Steph. Uh, that's me thanking my sister for getting me a man bag, which she gave me a very sidelong look when I opened it up. <laughs> but she still got it for me, so go. I will take the support. <laughs> um, the reason I wanted to talk about bug out bags as an entry point into talking about man bags is because... 
Um, Andy, I don't think you spend a lot of time frequenting uh, survivalist forums or survivalist Reddit. Uh, and I don't recommend it because it's a lot of people who share politics with your dad and your brother. Yeah, right. I was um, about to say. <laughs> but um, bug out bags are a pretty common topic of conversation. There. And it's not exclusively there. You, There is that there are, you know, fairly politically neutral or even left leaning sites that will talk about them. But inevitably, the majority of discussion about bug out bags comes from dudes and I would argue the majority of those dudes talking about bug out bags would much like my sister cast a side eye at dudes carrying around what they consider to be a purse dudes carrying around a man bag and that feels um, very contradictory to me and and I'd like to talk about why sure so I don't know about you Andy but I can see no logistical reason why carrying shit should be gendered. And yet, the fact that I keep my stuff in a crossbody bag rather than like a backpack or my pockets is weird to a lot of people. I think very particularly about a guy I used to work with who had two young sons under the age of... Three and and his situation was such that with his uh with his wife, she was a nurse, so she worked you know these twelve hour shifts. On the days where you know he she was working and he was working from the office and he had to take his kids to daycare, he'd drop his kids off at daycare and he'd pick them up and he'd actually like adjust his hours for that. That was a workplace that was really good about that. But the diaper bag for his kids was a like giant ass hiking backpack and i remember this same dude talking about how convenient it was because because this giant ass hiking backpack not only had all the shit he needed for his kids it also had room for like his work laptop some snacks for him um whatever whatever the fuck he needed to get through the day and same dude would be a little cross-eyed at me carrying a man bag which essentially had a lot of the same stuff most of what i keep in it is like my tablet my kindle whatever book i'm reading a water bottle charging cables um you know my phone charger i keep claritin in there because if i'm going to a place where i'm allergic to cats but it's not like serious so if i take a pop of claritin i'm fine so if i end up going somewhere where there's cat dander, like, it's just there for me. And I I, I don't understand, I never understood there why it was so gendered. I, I completely, I, I completely see your point, and I, I, and I agree with you. It makes me think of one thing in, in, in particular, and that would be the kilt. Okay. Because... Talk more to me about kilts, Andy. Yeah, right. Um... That is the first thing I think of when, you know, you're, you're talking about like, it, it is interesting how clothing is so gendered and the kilt as a garment, a, a skirt that men wear, you know, that's become such a, a thing to, to titter to yourself about and, and laugh about, well, why are they, you know, wearing that? Why aren't they wearing pants when any Scotsman wearing a kilt? is pretty handedly more manly than 
anyone else in the general vicinity aside from other Scotsmen wearing kilts. Now quit your jumping around and get to fighting! You know the Highland Games. Yeah. Oh, dude. Side note, we're missing the Highland Games because we're going to California and I'm upset. <laughs> oh, sweet boy. But, you know, even, even beyond that, like... Like I think about the kilt, and then I think about like like tunics, like like ancient forms of clothing. Like it was a thing where you wanted to be able to run, you wanted to be able to keep your legs free. Um, I've ran in tight ass jeans, and I don't recommend it. It's the one time in my life I got shin splints. Ooh. So. Yeah, the very concept that we've just all come to take at face value of, well, that's weird because that is not for your gender on either side of the spectrum is completely ludicrous. Yeah. And to segue from that, um, I want to talk about marketing because in recent years, um, there's been a little pushback on the idea that, like, dudes shouldn't carry man bags. However, a lot of how it is, uh, a lot of how it is marketed is still really weirdly kind of gross and sure. problematic and misogynistic. Um, you know, the, so I just straight up. Google pr- prior prior to putting together my notes here, I just straight up Googled the phrase "man bags," uh-huh. and I got a couple of pages for uh, Amazon, Nordstrom, Etsy, all selling like professional-looking like laptop cases or messenger bags, things like that. Cool, but I also got ads for Nutsack.com. <laughs> N-U-T-S-A-C dot com selling their quote man bag damn it. Janet. That is the name of the product. It is the man bag damn it. And all of the marketing for this is this weird, aggressive, it's not really a purse. It's a man bag. You can own that it's a man bag. You're you're still a total dude about this. And and it's like one step away from you can keep your gun in it. Like Right, yeah. I it's 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 really fragile masculinity. It's like this notion that like if you just care again, the thing that I keep coming back to is if you have a backpack or a briefcase. Those things are fine. If you carry the same fucking thing on like your shoulder in a smaller bag, suddenly it is a purse. Suddenly you are supposed to be emasculated because you can't fit like a water bottle in your pants pockets. Like there's 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 it's... a weird lack of logic to it. Yeah. And and the logic is toxic masculinity. Absolutely. But like it's it's complete go ahead. it's complete bullshit because like pick any school in America and it doesn't matter the grade, doesn't matter if it's like kindergarten or high school, what does every single person have a backpack? Yeah. Go to a college. 
everyone still has a backpack. Maybe they've started swapping it out for, you know, the computer bag. How is a computer bag different from a man bag? I mean, a computer bag is how I started carrying a man bag. Right. I, no, that's, that, that's I finished, my point. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I finished college and I was like, oh, shit. Like, I don't need to lug around a bunch of textbooks and a big-ass laptop anymore. But, um, you know, I, I could – I still like to have, you know – my phone charger, my book, my journal, my Claritin, my spare keys. You know, I, I keep my fucking, like, spare keys to my car in case I lock my keys in my car. It saved me from calling AAA probably a dozen times. Like, it's just, like, my guitar picks are in my bag. It's the most, like, I just want to carry these things with me. I just want to have them on me at all times items and i was like cool i don't want to carry around a big ass fucking laptop bag let me just get a little messenger bag and it's still i don't want to make it out like i'm being bullied for carrying a man bag like i'm not it's just it gets dumbass comments it gets shitty little jokes from tiny dicked weasels and my sister who i love uh, just talking about, like, just how emasculating it is. And I'm like, I have never felt emasculated for the fact that I'm carrying stuff. Hell, half the time I have weapons in there. Right. But, like, <laughs> I, I, I carried it because I missed having the big-ass computer bag, but I didn't want to carry a big-ass computer bag because I don't have reason to carry my fucking computer around anymore. I... I... I used to listen to the Tim Ferriss show, the Tim Ferriss podcast. I don't anymore. I've fallen off of it. But one of his most common questions that he would ask his guests, uh, because it's all about interviewing really successful people. And at the end of the show, he would ask them this series of various questions. And one of them was, what is one purchase under $100 that you've made in the last 12 months that's had the biggest or best impact on your life? And I have pretty consistently answered that as my man bag because I don't spend a lot on it and it lets me just do things more easily like it 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 lets me carry around the things that make my life easy and the fact that that is looked at so askancely just I don't see why my, my thing is like I don't think it should be considered feminine or masculine I don't understand why it's not fucking neutral right and it it, again, it doesn't baffle me because the answer is toxic masculinity, but my whole thing here is I want to actually just have a – I want to have this dialogue with you and put it out there just asking the questions, why the fuck is it gendered? We know what, why, why is it – why is it womanly to carry a bunch of stuff and why is it dudely to – have a phone that's uncharged and to sniffle through a house party because you don't have drugs that help with it and to be thirsty <laughs> it's it, it's just so like i i don't know if i've ever really put so much thought into it but it's so funny to me that it is such a you're right it's toxic masculinity but it's such a fragile toxic masculinity because i'm sitting here like i can break it with one point and that point being like, let's think back to me talking about band of brothers last episode, talking about fucking world war two, you know what people, men, soldiers, 
the heroes of the greatest generation carried around in what were essentially man bags. Either they were a medic and they were carrying all sorts of medical equipment to save lives from the grisly, grievous, manly wounds that these men soldiers were getting, or they were carrying fucking grenades or like belts of ammo. And it wasn't in backpacks. It was in man bags. I mean, what? And, and it's like, what's the... Zach Galifianakis has a line in the first Hangover movie where they like... Yeah. They ask him why he has a man bag, basically. And he's like, it's not... Or they ask why he has a purse. He goes, it's not a purse. It's a satchel. Indiana Jones has one. Yep, yep. <laughs> I'm like, okay. like, but that, But again, that's the problematic thing. Like, A, you refuse to call it by this one... A... They're assuming it's a purse, if I remember the quote correctly. B, your term in response to it is, it's not a purse, it's a satchel, which, like, my only context for the word satchel is fucking Legend of Zelda. And then he goes, Indiana Jones, paragon of masculinity, Indiana Jones, dude who fucked a 14-year-old when he was a grown-ass person. Indiana Jones, don't look too deeply into the timeline of Raiders (laughs) of the Lost Ark, folks. Yeah. is is this paragon of masculinity. Therefore, I, Zach Galifianakis' character in the Hangover movies, because as far as I'm concerned, he doesn't have a real name. Nobody in that movie does. I can carry around this bag and feel okay about myself. I'm like, I want you to feel okay about yourself. But the fact that you need to justify it with this shit is weird. The fact that Todd Phillips, you wrote this dumb joke in here tells me everything about who you're marketing your movie to. And I'm tired of it going unquestioned. Absolutely. So that was all. I, I Honestly, that's the end of my notes. And, you know, you and I have been able to riff off of it. But I just, y'all, if somebody carries a man bag, leave them alone. And if you want to carry a man bag, if you are a cis male, if you are a trans male, if you are a masculine identifying person who wants to carry your shit in a convenient little bag that you put on your shoulder, I encourage you. It is life changing. You have no idea how awesome I feel as a partner when my partner goes, I'm really thirsty and I can pull out a water bottle. You have no idea how nice it is to be able to be like, oh, hey, I am randomly at a friend's house and, oh, look, they pulled out a guitar. Do you need a pick? I don't have any picks. Oh, sorry. I have picks. Like, I have pens when people need pens. I have my journal and my books and my tablet. I have everything I need to get through a shitty-ass day. And a lot of y'all don't, so... And And to swing that the other way, like, I have broken things, specifically the hard drive that we originally recorded these episodes on. And that's why we lost episode four. (laughs) I have broken things because I put too much shit in my pockets. I have almost lit lit myself on fire because I had a couple of nine volts and a Leatherman in one pocket, uh, nine volt batteries. And for those of you who don't know if the leads on a nine volt battery Uh, just sits on top of a metal pocket knife in your pocket, it gets really fucking hot really fucking quickly. So 
the reasons are multitude and um i'm trying to think i've got computer bags i've got backpacks i'm i'm not I'm not against my, my birthday literally just passed. So I don't know when I would get it as a gift, but uh, I'm, I'm not against the man bag at all. I'm not trying to convert you, but if you want one, I've got recommendations that aren't too expensive. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> so discussion on man bags. I love them. You you know what? Tweet us your opinions on them. If you want to make jokes about my masculinity, I do clap back. If you yes. want to show me your man bags, please show them to me. I would love to see them. Let's compare notes. Let's compare contents. It sounds awesome. Hell yeah. So, thank you for talking about man bags, Alex. I... Very much appreciate being able to talk about something that gave one of us, if not both of us, joy before going into the (laughs) other segment we do on every episode where we talk about something we hate. And today I'm going to talk to you and everyone else about why I hate modern meme culture. All right, let's get started. Yeah. So... I always feel like I feel the need to make sure everyone understands, even when we talk about a topic that is something I feel like 99% of our listener base is going to understand. So for anyone out there who doesn't know what I'm talking about, when I say modern meme culture, maybe you don't even know what I'm talking about when I'm talking about memes. Um, I am going to just try to burn through a quick history lesson about where we started versus where we are now. Okay, let's go for it. Just before I do that, let me ask you what you think when I say the word meme. To be honest, uh, and I and I'll be frank, I have looked ahead of your notes. I I know some of this history, but just due to being a person on the internet sure. on a daily basis, um, first thought that comes to my head when I think of the just just the word meme is the common lexicon for it, which is an image of some kind, usually shared on the internet, usually uh, with some text at the top and or bottom, uh, usually humorous or trying to make some kind of statement, uh, and roughly with the intention of somehow going viral or at least being shared by multiple people on the internet to you know, get a reaction. Yeah. And that's, that's a very good, um, summary of of the thing. You know, that's, that's what I think about. I think that's what most people think about. Um, what I didn't know until I started research was that the first published case of the word meme, um, and it is meme, not meme, um, Mm -hmm. dates back to Richard Dawkins's 1976 book, the selfish gene, um, Dawkins referred to this this concept as a mimeme, which is a word derived from Greek, which means that which is imitated. The word was abbreviated to meme because he was trying to make a connection to genes, as in like genomes, like DNA. Um, Dawkins coined the term because he was trying to figure out whether there was a measurable unit describing how ideas are spread and propagated throughout generations. 
So put simply, a meme is like an idea as a gene is to a physical trait. And I really like that way of thinking about it. It's this like kind of this DNA of thought processes or like cultural jokes or, or ideas or language. It is this meant to be kind of this, this building block of societal culture and, and Dawkins, you know, believed that anything was capable of undergoing evolution, including ideas. So he, he came up with this language and terminology. Sure. And that makes sense for someone like Dawkins, who is educated uh, as an evolutionary biologist and then kind of became, you know, he parlayed that into being a cultural critic of sorts. Totally. Uh, you can hear a lot about our opinions on Richard Dawkins on our episode where we talk about the new atheists, but in this one particular aspect, yes. like <laughs> divorcing a lot of his later opinions from his, from, from, from this work and discussion that he was having in the seventies. Um, and to a lesser extent has continued ever since, but like, Divorcing those two parts of his study, yes. Richard Dawkins, originator of the term meme, this conceit. And yeah, you're right. That's a really useful definition. Yes, uh, totally stepping aside anything else we feel about Richard Dawkins. It, it's just you know factual that he created the word. If not, like I, I wouldn't sit here and say that he like coined the concept itself or that he was even ever even thinking about internet memes, which are what most people think about. Um, yeah, no, he was, he was talking more about things like, like something that has been discussed a lot from the time that he was doing this was like the Richard Nixon. I'm no crook jokes, which like Richard Nixon Yes, Richard Nixon did board a plane with his two fingers out like like peace signs. He did not say I'm no crook at that point. That was from a different speech, but like that whole thing which I think honestly was like maybe an SNL or a comedian thing, that became a meme. That's how people did Richard Nixon impressions. That's an example of what he's talking about as a meme, like a thing, an idea, a concept that spread throughout and became like inculcated into the culture. Absolutely. And I love that because that is a example of a pre-internet meme and it's not even one of the ones that I thought of. So that uh, thank you for adding that. I, I hadn't even considered that, but you're totally right. You know, a couple other pre-internet memes are you know, Styx had their Mr. Roboto album. And for a long time, you would see people writing Kilroy was here, which was in reference to, you know, a, a, a character created by the band Styx. And even when people weren't talking about the music or anything, like I can remember as a child seeing Kilroy was here just as like a graffiti thing that, that just happened, you know, kind of the same way. There's that weird diamond shaped S that we all drew in middle school and nobody really knows why or, or where it came from. You know, the concept of, of somebody having a John three sixteen uh little placard or billboard at a football game or on the news, like 
Like these are some of the earliest cultural memes that I can think of. But memes have yeah. really become a an internet thing. And the very first internet meme, it turns out, is actually a video of a dancing baby from 1996 in the starting days of the internet, which became so viral that it appeared on Ally McBeal. Up and down, down, up and down. But like the 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 thing, the the like memes as a thing really kind of just blossomed in 2006, you know, a scant 14 years ago. And mm. part of that is because of the, you know, the growth of the Internet. I, I didn't look this yeah. up, but I think YouTube blew up at around the same time. And I mean, shit, dancing cat videos are are literally a meme in and of themselves. So the two things are pretty clearly interconnected, but you know, over the past 14 years, meme culture has cultured like a fungus. Hey, Mm -hmm. and spread across the globe. Boo this man. man. (laughs) Uh, I couldn't resist, but you know, it's really spread across the globe to the point where like, you know, we can point at these very first memes. We can point at the dancing baby. We can point at Lolcat. We can point at like the earliest ones I can think of where you would just take like motivational pictures. You know, the thing that you saw in like your your guidance counselor's office where it was a picture of a hot air balloon and it said motivation. And then it like, you know, had some little quote. People would take that and and just turn it into you know whatever the hell they wanted i remember making one of myself from a homecoming where i took a, a picture of my friend and his date and i said look at this happy asian just look at him goddamn but i did it in the format which then made it into the meme like it, it, it i'm really glad you got funnier later yeah right i know <laughs> I really, I really like that you think I got funnier, um, but you know, it's, it's erupted to the point where like, there are too many for us to really be able to point at them all. You know, we can point at the early ones. We can point at the things that we first encountered that then afterwards we were like, yeah, that's a meme, but mm-hmm. There's a new meme every week nowadays and that's fine. I don't, I don't hate that. I don't, I don't hate, I'm not sitting here saying like it is some like great art form that we need to take our time with and and really appreciate the, the viral nature is just a thing. And I would never think that we would even be capable of like, forcing it there's nothing more cringeworthy than when like a company or something would try to force a meme and inevitably mm-hmm. like they would jump on the bandwagon two weeks too late because that's how sure. marketing teams work like yeah because they need time to put together everything right. and frankly every everybody moves on before they could reasonably capitalize no the reason i hate the modern meme culture is i truly feel like we've reached the breaking point. Um, and, and I've really been thinking about this. Like, you know, I mentioned that 
memes as we know them really started around 2006. Mm-hmm. And we haven't had a true war. Like the, the Iraq war had another five years to it. Yes. But it's not like we had, we, we have had an instance where war has been declared in the United States since meme culture really became a thing. I mean, not a new one. The Iraq war right. started in 2003 and is still going, still going. Oh, fair um, enough. <laughs> yeah. But like one of, one of the things, so, you know, we're sitting here in 2020 and, and the things that have really just inspired this hatred from me are the prospective Iran war that at a, as of time of recording, we have not formally declared and begun, but God, who knows what will happen in the next two weeks. And the Australian fires of 2019, which, you know, I, I got on my bully pulpit and really screamed as much as I could about the Amazon rainforest fires. Um, hey, quick fat guys, the Amazon rain, the Australian like brush has been on fire for longer and from a like kilometer standpoint has been on fire more and nobody's doing anything except making jokes. At least that's what it feels like. Like, and even the people that are doing something, uh, Alex, have, have you heard of the naked philanthropist? Oh yeah. No, like okay. sex worker Twitter went nuts trying to support her. Sure. Hell yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. For those who don't know, this is uh this is a sex worker who actively campaigned and said that she was, she's a model. Um, and she said that she would pro- essentially anyone who DM'd her proof that they had donated uh, $10 to Australian relief. She would send them a nude photo. Uh, and she raised something like half a million dollars in a few days. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, something something crazy like that. Shut up and take my money. And she caught a lot of shit for it because people are stupid. So Indeed. Instead yes. of in, instead of like taking the time and and figuring out what they could do, whether it was buy a nude or or find some other charity, do something, you know, people started making jokes and and making memes about this and you know what i've seen more so you know all the so so, um suleimani the iranian general was assassinated what the third i want to say the third something Um, like that no you know it was the third because like as it was happening in real time, my Twitter just became nothing but people posting pictures of, man, we three days into 2020 and World War III starting and like taking the, 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 the picture of a kid who is like sweating profusely and, you know, digging up jokes of when they had said World War III was coming and saying, well, this aged poorly. And like... I don't know. I don't know if it's like my 2020 started from the moment, from the word go, from the ball dropping, my 2020 started wonderfully. 
absolutely fantastically and like i spent my little job winter break like reaffirming my hope in the world and it, it it's all just coming crashing down i alex i can't tell if i'm just losing my thick skin or if and and this is what i believe this is why i made this my hate if meme culture has turned into this sort of gallows humor excuse to not do anything because we can just scream out on the internet and go nah, shit's fucked and like all agree that shit's fucked so why do anything about it other than post this funny picture about how the draft is going to get reinstated? And I don't mm. think the draft is going to get reinstated, but like, I truly, I, I'm truly at a struggle myself here to figure out like, am I an asshole for really having a problem with people making memes about the awfulness of the world today can i offer a theory yeah always i wonder if you're burned out yeah sounds like it you 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 my sweet summer child (laughs) my my beacon of sunshine you you are not a nihilist I am a nihilist. (laughs) No argument. (laughs) But I am also not a cynic. The difference between a nihilist and a cynic is that while both agree that life and existence have no inherent meaning, a nihilist can take that and choose to derive meaning from it. If they so decide to, or they might decide there's no meaning, nothing matters, I'm going to do what I want. There's shades to nihilism. A cynic says, there is no meaning, all is hopeless, why bother? Sure. So, if if your, if your idea holds, that, or your suggestion holds, that a lot of the reason why people are coming to memes... As a way of dealing with this, I think that it might, if that's the case, I think there might be something to be said of people who go, all right, I I am encountering another thing that seems hopeless. And let's be clear, a lot of the people dealing with these situations, reading this news, have not only, not only have they been sitting in a stack of varying hopeless situations for years, some of them were born into it. Sure. Some of them were born into a world where we have been at war for 18, 19 years. We have student loan crisis. We have a wage crisis. We have an environmental crisis. We have all of these things. We have parents and grandparents who clearly don't give a shit about us and are in complete denial of these situations. And we have no power to do anything because when we prop, when we do the things we're told we're supposed to do, when we vote, when we canvass, when we call our senators, when we do everything we're supposed to do, somebody wins by three million votes and still doesn't get a presidency. Yeah. Just like, 
just like 16 years earlier, 500 votes in one county in Florida threw the whole thing out of whack, and ultimately the Supreme Court ends up awarding it to the majority party candidate. We've been sitting in this apparently hopeless situation for literal decades, and for some of us, it's our entire adult life or even our entire lives, and memes for a few people might be a form of escapism, It might be a way to make sense of the world. I'm not trying to talk you out of your hate. I'm just trying to see if maybe this is the reason why we're coming to this. Why why it has come to this. This is fine. I'm okay with the events that are unfolding currently. Sure. And no, I think you make a lot of good points. I think that that really is right. Like, I, I am somebody who has hope literally that yeah that is what i was gonna say um you know i'm i'm somebody who has hope i'm an optimistic person i try my damnedest to look on the bright side of life um yes thank you thank you that's all i wanted You know, I haven't been laughing at the Trump memes for a while. Um, and yeah, I'm I'm certainly not laughing at the Iran war memes or the Australian fire memes or the Epstein didn't kill himself memes because I just sit here and languish at the state of affairs the the world is in you know i've i've said it plenty of times it it feels like we're we're in the new rome just before the matches get lit and yeah i don't hmm anybody who uses it as escapism you know you mentioned that and and my third my first thought is oh well i don't hate them um it just I mean, I hate it a little. <laughs> I sit here and want us to instead pool our collective energies into making the world a better place and to like there are there there are certain rich and powerful people who are keeping the status quo in place because it benefits them. And, and I want those people toppled and I want us to collectively like, like save the planet while we still can, if we still can. And like, just hurry up and get to my friggin' star Trek, the next generation utopia. So I guess really what I'm, what I'm calling for is revolution, Alex. <laughs> now yeah. here on this pot on this podcast, episode 39. <laughs> yeah. But also, you know, we both have work in the morning, right? Yeah. It's we'll find a weekend. And, and again, that's, and that's, and, and you know, that might sound cynical and I promise I don't mean it to be. I, I more mention it just to have perspective. Yeah, you know, I got you, man. it's you know when you first told me that you were going to talk about meme culture as a hate. Do you know what I thought you were going to talk about? What I thought that you were going to talk about how 
insulated like bubbles of memes have you know arguably been responsible for radicalizing the alt right and for causing a bunch of division between classes and generations you know it's boomers have memes too granted most of their memes starve minions but um you know it doesn't change the fact that you know there we have these weird separations on the internet and memes are a huge part of how information seems to be consumed nowadays that's what i thought you were going to talk about um and i'm not mad to be to be clear i'm not criticizing you for not going down that route but it just shows how big and fucking complicated this particular issue is my problem with memes is that i feel like it's uh, one means through which we continue to segregate ourselves in these weird cultural bubbles. It's also, yeah, you know what? I I like I, I I don't like to shit on people for escapism. I do shit on people who go too far in their escapism mm-hmm. and ignore reality. And the fact of the matter is, there's a lot of people who do that and don't engage and aren't dealing with it and just like there are people you know i try not to criticize active like internet activists people who are just retweeting stuff and acting like that is you know doing something accomplishing something granted for some people that might be all they can do is try and raise a little bit of awareness there's a lot of people who could do more and don't uh and you know that's a complicated conversation and it's it's too much for you know the space of this particular segment but it doesn't change the fact that meme culture is it's not a neutral thing you know and i don't want to argue that it is yeah. but i think that you're i'm not going i again i don't want to talk you out of your hate but what i would invite you and anyone out there listening to do is Try on a few different perspectives when you're analyzing this. Memes do a lot of damage. Memes also can spread a lot of awareness. They can also do a whole lot. Since the Iran news started coming up, I have spent a lot of time on the internet listening to old Bill Hicks bits and James Baldwin interviews talking about the first Gulf War. Yeah. And, you know, that's... A lot of those are things that I have argued, like, they're not memes. They probably should be memes. They probably should be things. But the, but the thing is, there's observations in that material. And in the Bill Hicks, it's absolutely entertainment. The James Baldwin, less so. Um, but even then, he's definitely a fun interview. It's entertainment. But it's entertainment that makes you think. And meme culture can be a tool for good. It has certainly not been used as a tool for good so far. And I think that comes down to, you know, people on the internet being essentially, you know, motherfuckers with a giant toy. But I don't know. I I don't want you to lose your hope. I just want (laughs) you to have perspective, you know? Sure. And I I appreciate that. And I think maybe the fact that I sit here and still am capable of getting upset about it. Uh, is the sign that I still have that hope. It's meaningful. Yeah. And hope and hope is important because if you don't have hope, you're a cynic and cynics are assholes who nobody likes and 
I'm not going to finish that sentence, but um, <laughs> let's just say they should do what uh, Camus says is uh, the ultimate fate of those who are too cowardly to embrace radical freedom. If that's confusing to you, Google it. Use the internet and learn yourself something. Call to action. Shall we move on to our question? Yeah. <laughs> Google Camus. Yeah, if nothing else. If you get nothing else uh, out of this, stop looking at Sonic memes and Google Camus. <laughs> Google Camus and donate to the Amazon rain or do donate to the Amazon fire relief. Donate to like, one of them. Donate to anything. Like apropos of nothing, it'll be down by the time I uh, set this or by the time you hear this. Like for my birthday, I, for the first time, like set up one of those, like donate in my name for this charity thing. And, you know, tried to make sure I found the biggest one, but it's like, you know, I get that not everybody can, can donate money, but you can, you can spread links. You can do something and you can look up Camus. Let's get into the question. <laughs> okay. Shall I read this one? I think you read you read the last one. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, cool. So uh, we got one from an actual listener this time, which we're very appreciative of. It is our favorite way to get questions. Absolutely. So, here we go. Hey, love-hate relationship. After living with my family for my entire life, I am finally getting the chance to move out into a different house in a few months with my grandma. I'm really optimistic that getting away from my parents will do wonders for our relationship, but there is one wrinkle to the situation. Currently, I live in a pretty large upstairs loft and will be moving into a smaller personal space. Once I'm out, my loft is going to be given to my brother and his girlfriend. Just in case this move doesn't work out, do you guys think I can make a case for getting my loft back? Better yet... What advice can you give me to make sure that on my end, uh, this is a good move and I never have to look back at all? And that is signed to us from Happy Gilmore. Oh, bitch, Paul, why didn't you just go home? That's your home! Are you too good for your home? Answer me! Suck my white ass, Paul! Which uh, I think makes our second Adam yes. Sandler character. <laughs> uh, we just need someone to make a wedding singer reference now, and 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 my tiny little heart will be happy. Oh, I was thinking little Nikki. Yeah, we we have as many Adam Sandler references from our question listeners as we do Dragon Ball Z. Make that make of that what you will. <laughs> I don't I, I don't I don't make a lot of good out of that. Right. But, uh... <laughs> so, All right. I read you want to start off for happy. Yeah. Hey, they're happy. I hope you're happy. I think you are. <laughs> it sounds like you're pretty optimistic about being able to get out of your current living situation. You know, the first thing I think of is the fact that you express some anxiety about moving into a smaller space and i get that you know um, when i moved it was from moving in from a house into an apartment and it was taking you know two people's like full nebulous living situations and and sticking them into what was essentially two rooms plus a bathroom um, but I don't think you need to really worry about 
moving into a, a smaller bedroom or a smaller personal living space rather um you know for one thing you're you're moving in with a roommate it turns out it's a roommate that you i'm assuming know your grandma um and that can be a really good thing knowing them because you maybe won't wind up being like okay there's the room where there's my stuff. There's the room where there's your stuff. And then there is the neutral living space, living room, which will not have either of our stuff. I don't get the sense that that's going to be the situation here. You know, you can, you can figure out, okay, what goes into my new bedroom and what becomes like something that goes into the living room or, you know, they don't specify if it's, I don't think they specify if it's an apartment or a, uh, a house, but going from a pretty large upstairs loft to something. They say move out into a different house. Okay. Yes, they do. They do. Okay. So you're going to a house. So, so there's going to be more than a couple of rooms in that house. You know, you can find out where like your, your, your craft room or the, you know, it, it can be like a two or three bedroom house plus a living room, kitchen, yada, yada. You, you've got room to decorate is, is really what I'm getting at here. Moving on to the issue of what is going to happen to your old living situation. I mean, you truly hope that you aren't in three months time turning around and trying to get back into your parents' place. Um if that were to be the case, the instant and most non-confrontational option would be, okay, you're, so your brother and his girlfriend are getting your old room. What's stopping you from getting your brother and girlfriend's old room? And basically, we're just playing musical chairs, but in a house. <laughs> but the advice I would give to make sure that this is a good move is, you know, you, like I said, you're lucky. You're, you're moving in with family. And I, I do think that is a lucky and a good thing in this regard, you know, just try not to go overboard with the fact that you are no longer in your parents' house. And really just what I mean is like the best way to make this a safe and happy move for everybody is to respect the space of the other person that lives there, even if it was like a roommate, I would still say the same thing of like, you know, respect the space, figure out if they are cool with you having ragers. If they're not, maybe don't throw ragers, that sort of thing. Um, but I feel like I've been talking for a minute, so I want to give you a chance to respond, Alex. Oh, he's so sweet. Y'all. Um, I, I I think you gave a good groundwork there. Um, just to add on there, Happy. Uh, I, w- I want to give you something to think about. You are, I assume, of adult age. Uh, if you're moving out of your parents' house to live with your grandma, I, I, I'm just going to assume at the very least you are you are either an adult or very soon going to be an adult. I've certainly encountered situations where, like, high school-aged kids move out of the house to move in with another relative because of space situations. I've seen that before. Not a big deal. But I'm assuming you're not, like, 12. With that assumption, I would challenge you to 
rephrase your, like, redo your thinking a little bit. You write specifically, once I'm out, my loft is going to be given to my brother and his girlfriend. Just in case this move doesn't work out, do you guys think I can make the case for getting my loft back? You keep saying your loft, your loft, your loft. It's not your loft. It's not. I'm sorry. You live there. It's your home right now. But it is not your loft. Ultimately, it's your parents. Uh, It's your parents' loft and your parents' house. Moving out of your parents' house is a scary thing. Andy and I both moved out of our parents' houses when we were notably older than the 17 or 18 than a lot of people do. I don't remember how old you were, Andy. I was 25. Um, um, yeah, I was 24 and three quarters. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I left my parents' home to go to graduate school. I lived with my parents all through college because college was expensive. Shout out Rollins. Uh, and then I got into grad school in another state. And I was like, cool, that's where I'm going to. In that intervening time between finishing college and going to grad school, I was living at home to work and save up for graduate school. Like, I did not live on my own until I was that age. And the fact of the matter is, like, my first living situation was hard because I had roommates for the first time and I had to deal with that. And, you know, some things went well, some things did not. I hated one of my roommates and the other one I barely saw. So what are you going to do? Living situations are never ideal. But the fact of the matter is, my first place, even though it was graduate school housing, even though legally it wasn't mine, it was a place that I had paid an institution to let me live in for a while, it was my place independent of my parents, and it was the first time that I ever had that. And that change in mindset is so important. It is not your loft. If this thing doesn't work out, you know, maybe you can make that case. I don't know what your relationship is with your parents. I'm going to assume you think it's good enough that you can possibly do this. But, you know, you would also be putting out your brother and his girlfriend, which I don't know how the how old they are or what their situation is. You don't really go into detail. Um, but there is something to be said about closing the door and leaving it closed behind you. You're, live, you're moving in with your grandma in another house will probably suck some of the time. I don't know if you like to throw ragers. Maybe your grandma likes to throw ragers and you like to sit and knit. <laughs> I have no idea. Um, but there will be clashes with your grandma. That is something you need to anticipate. Because when you live with anyone, you will have clashes. I moved in with my best friend my partner, my favorite human being in the world. And like a month or two in, we had a blowout fight about where I was leaving my razor in the bathroom. Because those are, because even though she was my best friend, even though she was my wife, my partner, the person I care about the most in the world, we were also roommates and roommates will disagree and have those problems. 
make a new home where you newly are and stop thinking about the place you were as yours. It's not yours. Change your mindset and I think you'll be in a better place to do what your second question was, which is make sure this is a good move and you never have to look back. You need to divorce yourself from the old space. I love that. That's great. You know, you, I, I thought of something as you were speaking that kind of goes along with that, you know, divorcing yourself from the old space. There is no hard rule that you have to move back in with your folks if True. things don't work out with grandma. Now, you know, maybe maybe you're in a, a specific financial situation or maybe there's an extenuating circumstance, but it's not set in stone. You know, maybe this is if things take a turn for the worst, maybe this is the opportunity to figure out which of your friends has a couch. They don't mind you crashing on for a while until you can, you know, work up getting into a room in, in their place or just something like that. You don't have to immediately come back and, and either ask for your old room back or try to negotiate a new living situation. But really, I I do think I, I like Alex's advice to temper yourself and sometimes that can be like a, a, a scary or a negative thing. And really, I think this is more of just like, like, like this is a temperance thing. This is, you know, just go in with a realistic mindset that at some point you and grandma are going to fight over the kitchen spoons or whatever. And also realize that just because you fight over the kitchen spoons, that doesn't mean you're going to be moving out in the next week. Um, this, I, I, I get a real sense that there is an optimism here and I want you to continue to have that. You can still be optimistic and temper your expectations, but the biggest thing really just is like, you can focus on the good while being prepared, prepared. You can focus on the good while being prepared for some potential bad, and it's not going to be the end of the world. And, you know, you, you specifically state, you think that you're really thinking that getting away from your parents is going to do wonders for your relationship. You know, lean into that. And also, you know, if it doesn't happen, it's you, you didn't do anything wrong, but I guess my final word here is, is lean into the good, but don't be totally blind to the potential bad. I think that's smart. Yeah. Um, yeah. The one thing I'll add is you, you mentioned offhand that you have, it's a wrinkle that you're, current setup is pretty large and you'll be moving into a smaller personal space um dude Marie Kondo that shit like I'm not shitting you like me and Stephanie have once a year a Marie Kondo day it's actually coming up uh later this month for us where we go through our entire place and go all right what the hell do we actually need? All right, last year we set all of our clothes up on backwards hangers so that when we put them back, they'd be forwards hangers. What didn't we wear in the last year? What books can we part with? 
what whatever do we have a million of that we can get rid of like that's a good thing to do i get rid of some shit yeah get get rid of some shit don't be a pack rat i and i say this as a natural pack rack i want to save everything i it is a running joke in my in my marriage that i go to my gym and there will be like sweaters or water bottles sitting in the same spot in like the front of the gym and i'll wait like a couple of weeks and if they don't move and they haven't been touched i go yoink that's mine now i have like four jackets that i'm that are all a little too big for me like just sitting in my front closet and the joke is i bring home this shit from the gym and we say that it's gym trash so stephanie turns to me and goes thanks gym trash and then looks like she wants to weep because she has a pack rat husband who needs to have who needs to hoard things because I don't know maybe it's the immigrant kid thing I don't fucking have any idea but like once a year I I I promise you in a couple of weeks I'm probably going to donate all of that shit all of it cuz I only wear like 3 jackets ever so downsize there you go it's a good thing yes it's good to it's good to get rid of some stuff i promise you if you need it again you can buy it again you have the permission if you can't afford it and you really really think honestly you're gonna need it do that but be honest with yourself about it smaller personal space is not a bad thing in a lot of ways it can help you declutter your life so take advantage of that Absolutely. So yeah, Alex is uh, doing a Marie Kondo day. Uh, I really love that idea. So I'm going to do a Marie Kondo day. Happy. Hell yeah. Set up a Marie Kondo day and, and send us like, tell us how it goes. Tell us what, what was the oldest, most ridiculous thing you threw out. In fact, listener, just that's an open invitation to come yell at us about the things you threw away because you listened to this episode. I welcome it. Um, nah, but seriously, Andy, if you Marie Kondo shit, can you send me some shit? Because I need more shit. Because I'm about to get rid of a bunch of my shit. Y'all, y'all got any? Y'all got any of them shit? <laughs> <laughs> oh God, close us out. Uh, so if you um, don't want to send us your Marie Kondo pictures, but you do want to send us your relationship questions, just like we did for happy. Um, we will give our perfectly unqualified advice. We will keep you anonymous. If you so wish, we will give you a nickname. If you don't feel like coming up with one on your own and you can send those questions to love, hate relationship podcast at gmail.com or into our DMS where we promise we'll read them. Sadly, we won't send you any nudes, but um, you're probably better for not getting them. Uh, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, or even tune in radio. Hey, Mom. Um, let's not talk about the fact that I just referenced nudes. <laughs> uh, we, we would also love it if you reviewed us on any or all of those. Uh, you can tweet us at LHRPod, that's L-H-R-P-O-D, with your questions and follow us to keep up with new episodes. 
That's right. You can follow me, Andy Bowell, at Jovocop2113. Or, um, you know, we really didn't talk about movies, except when we referenced Adam Sandler films. And if that made you upset and you want to hear me and the incomparable Stephanie Johnson talk about cult films, you can go over to my other podcast, Cult Fiction, which is available on all those same platforms. Yeah, and uh, you can follow me. I don't have another podcast right now, and who the hell knows if that'll ever change. Well, I don't fucking know. Um, but I'm at A underscore X underscore R-U-I-Z on both Twitter and Instagram. Thanks for listening, y'all. Uh, 2020 is Upon certainly us. happening. Yeah. It is certainly happening. Uh, and you know what? Go ahead and just just share it. Share it and share us with all of your enemies. (laughs) 